This is Speaking Z Theology with Chris Green. Well, Chris, it's good to see you. <laughs> the lecture on trauma and the wounds of God that we published last week has has been out there for everybody to have a listen to. And I thought it would be good for us just to lean into a conversation about that. I, I, I'd love to ask some questions to you about how the lecture took the form that it did. Um, I'd love, I'd love you to even spend a little bit of time talking about how you define trauma. I found that profoundly helpful for, for setting how we navigate our way through the conversation uh, that we're in. Um, but yeah, maybe begin, maybe begin, talk a little bit about this, this image. You drew this image of the, the candles that you were lighting, uh, which sort of held this lecture together in, in beautiful ways and listening to the response from some of the people who were present live for the lecture that clearly captured people, didn't it? Yes. It, it came to me really late, actually. I, I had, of course, as I, as I mentioned in the lecture, I, I, I'm always deeply conflicted there's a, there's a lot of turmoil for me around discussing trauma for all kinds of reasons. Mm. And in preparation for it, it had been especially, as you know, especially busy stretch for me. And I don't think it would have mattered if I'd have had a hundred more hours to work on the lecture. I, I still would have been overmatched by it. And, and so I, I hadn't figured a way to structure it. I knew I had too much material and it was too messy and it, it felt, it felt in, you know, tangled and kind of knotted up to me. And it was just before, I mean, I, I had arrived at the venue in time to do a mic check and I sat down and, and that image came to me of lighting votive candles, one for each of the, the figures that I, who I was going to be engaging and I'm realizing now it might have it might have been in a in a meeting right before, but it was just 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 before the lecture, just before the lecture. I realized this this is a this is a way that would perhaps bear witness to the. I'm owning the fact that I don't know how to say all that I need to say, and even that I I don't know what all I need to say. And that image of lighting separate candles and, of course, the ways in which candles light a room differently. I, I think I say in that lecture, you know, this is not like a bonfire we're all gathering around. And it's certainly not like switching on the lights. It's certainly not like any anything artificial mm. kind of illuminating the space. It's just a few lights here and there. And, and those lights are on, on in some ways prayers that have been born votive candles, right? Born from what I've learned from these, these people and, and, and a word of thanks for them and for what they, what they've taught us. Mm. But I also think it, it speaks to the particular light they're casting, you know, now and or Minicon or whomever else, you know, Nick cave. Nick, okay. So, I mean, that's kind of how, that's where that image came from or how it came. And so it, it held together this, I mean, I, I felt this stunning tension uh, about 
that really, I, I think, for me anyway, listening, flew from the the definition of trauma that you gave, this this notion of the, the wound that, that will not heal. Um, and I think, and then thinking about, you know, Nowen's comment about God can heal all things, and then and then yeah. other comments that started to, to sort of look at that from different tensions, really. And for me personally, if, if, not that the podcast is, is about my personal responses, uh, Chris, but it was poignant for, for me, and I'm assuming it would be for anyone listening in Canada as I am, that the lecture is happening as we approached the weekend where we observe National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And and Canada has this this scarred history about how First Nations and Indigenous people have been treated, um, and it's it's a terrifying history. So so, uh, assuming that maybe not everybody would be aware of it, if if you don't mind, let me uh, let me recap essentially what what National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, amongst other things, identifies is the government and terrifyingly also the church collaborated on a project where they would they would take indigenous children from their families and put them into schools known as residential schools um, now what's terrifying in this and this government literature that absolutely speaks to this the express purpose of this project was to quote kill the Indian in the child end quote Right. Um, and so like there's actually like documents that speak exactly to that. That was the, the purpose. And I mean, it's terrifying to read. Right. Um, and, and then the church participated in setting up these schools. And I, 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 I struggle even calling them schools because there was no qualified teachers in them. Uh, the attrition rate in the schools was horrendous. So like half the children that went didn't survive enough to leave. Uh, the, the survival rate amongst people that made it to to the end of the time in the schools was was terrifyingly low because of all the various traumas that were related to that. And the final school closed in the 1990s. Right? Um, yeah. So so you know it's not a story from you know oh way 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 back then. Like there are there are I have met people just this this past weekend met people that survived these processes right and um and and canada is now having to reckon with this and one of the reasons it's having to reckon with it i think is because the truth is being brought to the light but in terrifying ways because what's happened in the last few years is in some of the sites of these old closed schools they've started to find mass graves and uh yeah. and 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 deal with thousands and so on sunday in my church uh, two of my friends who are a part of our church who are in, indigenous themselves they said like we always knew this story you know like we weren't surprised when they found mass graves in the schools but but the the non-indigenous and first nation part of canada settler canada were like we were shocked to hear these stories but indigenous people were saying we've been living with these stories for <clears throat> excuse me a long long time so there's this this wound that won't heal because it's not being brought up and talked about. But then what happens, I've discovered, is that when we bring it up and talk about it, it creates a reaction, right? Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about where that fits in terms of a sort of trauma process because it seems to create a reaction in the, the new listener, let me call that, you know, in, in those who didn't know this story, 
mm-hmm. I would assume, you know, that our heart's response to that story would be, oh my goodness, this story's terrible, right? Uh, what do we do to put this right? But that's not always the story that happens. What actually no. starts to happen is, is people, people feel the need to defend themselves, minimize or perhaps flat out deny the story and start, can I say it like this, Chris, and I want to be very gentle and cautious when I say it, but we almost start to behave as if we are the traumatized mm. uh, in our reactions to hearing something traumatic. Yes. Am I making any sort of sense when I say that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, I wish you weren't, but you, but you are. I, I, there's so much here, far more than I can even name. I think at some level, we have to make a distinction. It's something I, I learned from James Baldwin, that there's the, the, the trauma suffered by those who are wronged, like the, the injustice. So in this case, you know, the, the indigenous people of Canada the aboriginals in Australia, you know, that I talked about, Yeah, um, you know, the Miriam Rose and Ray Menacon talk, mm-hmm. talking about those experiences. So when you're, when you're talking about a people who suffered in these kind of unspeakable ways, there's the trauma that they suffer. And obviously James Baldwin is talking about Africans who are, you know, stolen, enslaved, brought here and, and put to work. What, one of the things that Baldwin says is that there's the trauma they suffer, and then there's the damage done to the souls of the ones who are doing the injustice. Yeah. And he makes the point, and I'm not quoting him exactly, but he makes the point that as horrific as the damage done to those who are wronged, there's a kind of damage done to the soul of those doing the wrong that's worse. Mm-hmm. Not not worse in the sense that I mean they're they're the ones with the power they're the ones living they're the ones privileged which I'll come to that in a moment because of the injustice they're doing but they're losing their humanity they're losing their souls like quite literally they're losing their minds their hearts are being darkened and he's right I think that 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 is so much more damaging, not in any way to minimize or to sideline the horror of what people have suffered, peoples have suffered. Some of what's happening, I think, though, when we name these sins, the reaction we get from people, the defensiveness, I mean, you said it, they feel a need to defend themselves. I think that's absolutely true. They feel a need because the, the loss of soul amongst those of us who are privileged because of those injustices is felt even when we can't name it. Mm. So even if I'm not personally directly responsible for that, although we are all personally directly responsible for racism, <laughs> like we've all, that's a sin that shows up in all of our lives pretty much. If you're raised in our world, you will have known that. You will have sinned in that way almost certainly. But Leave that aside. I just think the collective angst, the collective misery that's there on the part of the privileged, because we know at some level, and I I mean, it's a deep level, that our privilege is somehow bound up with these wrongs. So I I do think it genuinely is a felt need. It's felt that need to defend comes up quite naturally. Now, what should happen when we feel that is, is 
repentance, openness to God, readiness to be taught, instead of giving in to that felt need and, and acting rashly, speaking out hatefully. But I, I don't think we should be surprised that that need comes up because it, it we feel it. We are all... We are all bound together across the generations you know, far more intimately than we allow ourselves to accept. And the sins of our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents absolutely do come down on us. Not because God is punishing us for them, but the consequences of that kind of sinfulness are, are felt. They're felt in our deep hearts. They're felt in our bodies. They're, they're felt in the structures of our society. They're they're felt, they're they're in the air that we breathe, and we can't not react when that that that's there's a wound in us too that's not healing, Hmm. right? There's the there's the wound we inflicted or had inflicted on us, and then there's the wound that comes in us because we inflicted it on others, Hmm. Hmm. and and both can be traumatic although in different ways right so if if trauma names the 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 chaos that results or the the emotional turmoil that results from having been wronged in this profound way there's a kind of trauma that comes i think in wronging others a, a kind of emotional chaos that emerges when you aren't able to repent and make right what you did wrong so I, I think that's a dimension of this, right? And again, it's hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about because it's such a messy and entangled reality. But I, I do think it's important to name it, right? That that people reacting to our confessions of sin against you know Black Americans or Indigenous Australians or whatever people group has been wrong, the reaction against that from "Quote unquote white folks," which, as you know, is not as simple as skin color. Yeah, yeah. That is, I don't think it's a feigned response. I think it is a, it's a deeply felt one for a reason, and it's not only because of ideological confusion or, hmm. uh, you know, a, a, there. I mean, there's a lot of ideological confusion, but it's not as simple as that. There, there's a felt, there is a, a woundedness there. Mm-hmm. That has to be that has to be healed, cleansed, and healed. The, I mean, it strikes me that the the conversation it, it is about the complexity of sin uh, in, yes. in when we're talking about it from this. As you were talking there, maybe it's because you know we're approaching the Ten Commandments in the lectionary. <laughs> um, but as you were talking there, I was thinking about um, I was thinking about Pharaoh uh, and the narrative about the Israelites in the lead up to the Exodus. That we keep getting this reference to Pharaoh's blindedness to mm-hmm. what's going mm-hmm. on, you know, his his hardening of his heart. Um, and now maybe this is not the the trajectory that you were no 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 you yeah. were thinking on, but yeah. but there there is a there is a work of sin that hardens our hearts and it does it so profoundly effectively that, that it feels even like 
we're defending truth <laughs> in the process of, of actually being hardened by sin. I mean, is, is that a... Absolutely. And that, that, that goes, I mean, that is all a part of the, the privilege that I've named a couple of times now. Like, mm. these sins that we're, we're naming here, these sins against native peoples or against mm. other peoples being kind of torn from their the place of their nativity and brought somewhere else and, and forced into, into labor, forced into unpaid labor. Like this, these are sins that are directly tied to privilege in the modern world, to the territory we quote unquote own the property in, in both senses of the word, right. That, that come from that. And in the status, the, the rights of exchange, the power politically that you accumulate in, you know, the capital in, in, in the broadest sense of that, of that idea. Like, that is what we gained, so to speak, or at least that's what we thought we were gaining through those, through those wrongs. And we couch those wrongs to ourselves, as you've already mentioned, as a justice we were doing <laughs> like it was, it was framed, you know, so not just, you know, to kill the Indian, but to kill the Indian for the Indian's sake. Like we mm. weren't simply saying, you know, kill the Indian and rid ourselves of their presence. That's what we did. But what we said we were doing is bringing them into the, I mean, read Andrew Jackson, Andrew Jackson's speech. Uh, uh, that's going to lead the Indian removal act. You know, that mm. the, the way it, the rhetoric is we're doing this for them, not for ourselves. Mm. Mm. We, we may profit from it in one way, but that's that's not our motive. Our motive is you know, to save these, you know, the, the stolen generations that mm. Ray Minicon is naming, taking these children from their parents was done often by the church, mm. at least in the church's name. And in the name of Jesus and in the name of the gospel as an act of mercy, as an act of redemption. And once you've bought that lie, it's so hard to repent of it in part because we did, we did gain a kind of privilege from it. Most of the people, Mm. you know, listening to this podcast, certainly you and I are very privileged people Mm. and that privilege means a few things. One is it means that we're not in touch with suffering. It, it's very hard to remain in touch with suffering when you're privileged. Mm. And, and, and some of that's, you know, what we might say. I mean, that's not all bad in a sense, like the, the advances in medicine, the ways in which we, you know, I, I woke up this morning, migraine setting in, my head is hurting now. I've got medicine mm. to help with that. Right. I have the, in, in one aspect of having privilege is that I, I have easy access, relatively easy access anyway, to medicines that can kind of blunt the pain for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well and good, right? I mean, I'm thanking God for that today. Yeah, yeah. But, but th- that way of life is bound up with avoidance of suffering, pain-killing that cuts me off if I'm not very careful and if God's not merciful to me 
cuts me off from my own actual suffering, the suffering of the people around me, the su- especially the suffering of people I don't see day to day, either because I'm not paying attention or because my life, my, my life just doesn't cross my paths. Don't, don't cross with theirs. Yeah. And I, I think once you're caught in that place of relative painlessness, you start to feel any inconvenience as an injustice. You start mm-hmm. to feel even minor discomfort as a real wrong. And so much of what's killing our churches, and by our here, I mean the churches you and I have moved in over the course of our lives, you know, the, the dominant forms of mostly middle-class, relatively upwardly mobile, not, not wealthy, but well-to-do people, privileged people, like what kills so much of our spirituality is that we, we just can't feel reality. We're out of mm. touch with reality. We're out of touch with our own reality and the reality of others around us. And, and that is inseparably connected with we feel things that are not, in fact, injustices as if they were. Mm. Mm. We, we feel all discomfort as if we are somehow being wronged. And I don't mean to downplay. We are all, of course, wronged. There are things that are done to us that shouldn't be. But we're, in far too many cases, we're not really capable of discerning the difference between, I didn't like that. That didn't feel good. I wish that hadn't happened. And something for which we should lament or sorrow. Mm. Right? There, there are things that annoy me. But if I'm not, yeah, again, if I'm not careful and God is not merciful, then I will... I, I will overreact to that. I will, I will, you know, become be self obsessed about my discomfort in ways that begins to talk about that, you know, narrating it to myself and to others as if there's a, a deep injustice there. When really, it's not a deep injustice, right? It's just mm. something I do not like. It's something that I wish had not happened. And I think that's an, so. That's another layer to this, uh, maybe even an overarching reality that kind of shapes and colors everything that's happening, including our responses to admissions of guilt or Mm. prayers for repentance. And it's, you know, I I know there's a bit of a tongue tied response from me, which I don't think is accidental. I I think talking about these things, we we do have to kind of halt and stumble a bit, but Mm. Hopefully, you're getting a, at least getting a feel for what what I'm trying to name. As you were kind of unpacking that, it struck me that is part of the challenge then with dealing with our own trauma. Sometimes, uh, and I'm talking about a very you know I'm I'm talking about the you and I here. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about you know, uh, black Americans, uh, you know, yeah. Canadian, indigenous people, Australian Aboriginals. But for, for me, is some of the trauma that I seem to encounter, perhaps the result that the actual wound that I'm dealing with is obscured, right? Yes. It's that, is that, mm-hmm. that I'm not actually, something's hurting. So I'm hearing something. Or I'm encountering something and I'm I'm hurting, and my reaction is maybe anger first, or maybe a sense of injustice, and that's actually a true reaction, 
but to the wrong thing. <laughs> yes, and so, right. so I'm actually, you know, I, I've, I've, you know, I, I like to think in metaphors. It's a dinner spending too much time studying Paul. <laughs> you know, I've fallen down the stairs and broken my ankle, and I'm reaching for the migraine medicine because, like, that must be the answer to this. Right. right? And I'm, I'm just misdiagnosing all over the place. I mean, yes. uh, that feels like a little bit of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's there, there's a way in which we, yes, our sensitivity is off, right? We're misreading our own pain. Misdiagnosing, I think, is is excellent metaphor for it. Like we, we are, we're right that we do not feel right. Like we are sensing that much, at least. There's a discomfort here, a dis-ease, and we know that. But we're not able to identify what has gone wrong actually and therefore we have no sense of like how to make that how to make that right when i when i think the some of this and this is another layer to this conversation is we've lost a sense of our own sinfulness Hmm. i i've been reading a biography of Teresa's. Vita, her, her, the book about her life. It's an excellent book. Excellent book. It's, it's in a series of biographies of great books and mm-hmm. it, it's really a treatment of her entire life, Teresa of Avila, but it's focused on, on that book, which made her famous. And it's still, I think probably her most widely read work. But one of the things that strikes me about it, and I, I, and I don't just mean strikes me about it. And like, it's an interesting way. I mean, like, literally disturbed me. I had to put the book down yesterday. I was reading about her visions of hell and her sense of her own guilt before God. And it was deeply troubling for me. And I, I I literally had to stop reading for a moment. Like I got, I had a visceral reaction to it. And I had what kind of what some of what it struck me is I'm preparing to preach Sunday and the gospel text is the text about the wicked tenants. The old Testament reading is the 10 commandments passage. And the last line of that passage from Exodus is so that you may not sin like the God has given you these directions so that you may not sin. And somehow all of that came together yesterday in prayer for me that one of the things we're dealing with is that we don't have a, a, an appropriate sense of ourselves as sinful. We just don't mm. recognize how frayed and fractured and unhealth fevered we actually are. And mm. I think that's, one of the ways in which sin works on us, right? I mean, that is the deception of sin. It's also one of the ways in which privilege blunts our awareness. Like it keeps mm. us from seeing what's right in front of our faces or seeing it well. Maybe we see it, but we, we, we see it wrongly. Mm. We, we're, we're not able to recognize what's happening. Anyway, I, I think that's, mm. that needs to be named here too, as we, I think we're offended by the thought that we might be personally responsible, that we might really have wronged people. And I, mm-hmm. I, I may be, I may be out of step here, so I should be careful. But 
feel like it feels like, and and I'm, I feel strongly, so I may be overreacting here. I feel like we're we're in a cultural moment in which we're having a hard time with concepts like forgiveness, confession of sin, sacramental ministry, mm. uh, repenting of. Uh, reparations, repenting of generational sins and historical sins. I think we're having a hard time with all that because I don't know that any of us really believe that we do anything wrong, that we may do things we wish we hadn't done, but if people really understood, they would know we didn't mean to do that. Mm. Right. That we, we're a people of apologies. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. But I don't know if we believe that we're ever really people who need to repent. Mm. Yeah. And I'm probably overreacting. It's probably not that extreme, but it feels that extreme to me right now. You know, that we just, it's like a culture, cultures filled with people who have no real sense of their own sinfulness, wickedness. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the gospel text for the weekend right now, and like, I mean, it's quite it's quite stunning in terms of what you're saying. You know, like, look at this verse forty four of Matthew twenty one: the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. I mean, there's a text. When the chief priests and the Pharisees Pharisees heard his parables, they realized he was speaking about them. Right, um, and then look at this reaction. They wanted to arrest him, you know, um, like it's, and this is where I think, I think you can in one sense say, okay, I don't, I don't know how far I want to dive down to talk about us and myself, but then you realize this is the human problem. This is the problem of humans and sin is that even, even if we're in the situation where we can recognize that you're, so no, let me try and form this sentence better. I think I've often thought in my life, the problem is I can't see that it's sin. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I maybe even have already alluded to that in this, in this recording, that is the, is the lie of sin, oh, you can't see that it's sin. Sometimes, yes. Right? But then there's a deeper lie that you know, they realized he was talking about them, and they decide – and I decide, let me not make any sense of, um, you know, <laughs> suggesting any anti-Semitism in this, right? That's not what I'm doing here. But I decide. So between verse 45 and verse 46, there's, there's a decision is made. You're talking about me. And mm. I am not going to deal with that. <laughs> Instead, I'm going to lock you up <laughs> because because I don't... Uh, I, I yeah I, I'm not prepared to repent for that because because now we're at an impasse right you have identified yeah. something I realize mm, yeah that's me right so I've now got to make a choice and in the in in and the reason I one of the reasons this text I think is so difficult for Sunday is that that's the choice I always want to make <laughs> so, is it would be easier to lock this up hide this away and not repent and and now I will defend this to the death of the other if necessary uh, to avoid having to deal with it. I mean, maybe I'm making too much of that gospel text, but it feels like it's speaking to what you're talking about. Well, sure. I mean, I, I think all these texts, that's, that's exactly what they do. We, and we have to hear them 
in those ways, right? We, we, we are also not only, but we are also the chief priests and the Pharisees of this text. If, mm. if you go back to the beginning of it, the parable that Jesus tells about this landowner who plants a vineyard and mm. then hires or leases it, I should say yeah. to tenants and the, the tenants, you know, seize his slaves as he sends them, beat them, mm-hmm. kill them, stone them. You know, I yeah. can't remember the exact order. And exactly that order. Finally, yeah. finally sends. Oh, nice. Finally sends his son. Right. So he sends slaves. Their their response is rejection, rejection, rejection. Finally, he sends his son, thinking they will respect him, honor him, and they do not. Um, and. The text says something to the effect of, they say to themselves, this is his son, let us kill him, and we will receive the inheritance. Yeah. I, I, I Again, that's exactly what it says. I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm enjoying your recall here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, good. It's, I'm glad to hear it. That even with a migraine, I, I haven't entirely lost the recall. But I, I think we have to like, sit with that for a moment. They said to themselves, now... If we had been there, you know, with our iPhones recording it, that's not what they said to themselves. That's not the conversation that actually happened around the table. Yeah. What they were saying, I'm, I'm, I mean, we know this from watching the ways in which humans rationalize their wrongdoing. What they were saying, what they were saying, you know, had to do with things like, you know, we, ha- we have to do the hard thing here. Nobody wants to do this. Nobody wants to to put this son to death. But, you know, he's got a reputation for a reason. Or he's putting at risk the all of the people who live because of the work that's been entrusted to us. Like all of these people's lives. Now we're responsible for them. And this man is going to come from... He doesn't even live here. He doesn't live amongst us. He doesn't speak our language. His dad is wealthy and powerful and lives far away, and he's just going to come here and take away from us what these people actually need. These women are not going to be able to feed their their children. Our kids are not going to be able to go to to school. Like what they're doing is rationalizing their wickedness as necessary, Mm -hmm. that we must do this necessary evil. That's what they were actually saying right Mm -hmm. around the table. But of course, what what they were truly saying (laughs) is, we want what's his mm-hmm. and we want it for ourselves. And I, I think that's what's happening with the Pharisees too. At the end, they, they know that he's speaking about them and they know it because that's the convicting work of the spirit. Like the spirit is touching their hearts with, this is about you. <laughs> this is about you. <laughs> but instead of running toward Jesus with, yes, this is about me. And I want to be freed. I want to be healed. I want to make it right. Mm-hmm. They, their response, and again, this is not how they would have said it to themselves, but their response is as exactly as you said, is to, we will shut, we'll shut up that voice. Like we'll, we'll mm-hmm. lock him away and we won't have to, we won't have to hear it. We won't have to listen. Of course, I think that absolutely has to, to shock us to sobriety. Like that's, that's what we're doing. There's what we're telling ourselves. And then there's what we're actually doing. And the more we, the longer we stay in that 
kind of sin-addled state, the more, the harder and harder and harder it is for us to be truthful with what we're actually saying to ourselves. If yeah. if we could hear ourselves saying what we really mean, we're going to kill him and take what's his. Hmm then we would already be moving toward deliverance from it. If we could really hear ourselves, yeah. you know, we, that would be a moment of that offers repentance that offers redemption and forgiveness, yeah. but we just so rarely are able to hear ourselves. We, yes. instead we hear the rationalizations. Yes. Uh, and you see that so plainly in, 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 debates social moments around issues of race yeah. you, oh, absolutely. You, you see you see people in court afterwards you know shocked as they watch themselves on the captured camera you know uh mm-hmm. i i often i have as a pastor chris i i have received emails from people sometimes where when i've actually talked to them i've, I've said to them you know, and I've had people do the same to me. So again, let me not let me not suggest I see myself on a big high chair. You know, just go back and read what you wrote, <laughs> like, right. you know? um, yes. because you're saying one thing to me. But look at what you actually you think you're saying one thing, but look right. at what you actually said. You know, yes. um, when you know when that when that kind of temperature starts to build under your collar and and you're feeling that you know look at what you actually say in those moments and it's amazing how often you know good people tell on themselves you know something something blurts out something something is framed and and I think afterwards you're like well I didn't really mean to say that but but you did say that that is that, that yes. is what happened there and I think that's a gift I think that is a, a grace of the spirit at times in which we do say what we really mean and the hope is we will hear ourselves <laughs> and realize that's what we really mean and then repent for it uh, repent yes. of it and you know beg forgiveness for it i mean that that's we sh- we should hope for that oh i just said that and you know what that's actually what i mean and oh my god that could only come from a sinner and and and, and we're back to that you know i i read and and you do as well but i mean i read i read a lot of the Christian tradition. I mean, I, every day I'm reading something from the ancient or the medieval or the early modern history of the church. And it's staggering to me how rarely we now sound like they did mm. as it relates to our sense of sinfulness. I mean, someone like Teresa, and, and I'm not, I, again, I'm not here to say that all of that was healthy and right. There, there are aspects of that that do feel extreme at times, but <laughs> I don't know. Like we are sinners. If the gospel is true, we are sinners. We are mm-hmm. sinful. There is a wickedness, a twistedness in us. And I, I just, I don't want, of course, anyone to feel shame. There's a, there's a, there's a way of despising. Uh, let me put it like this. I think that, we deal with a lot of shame 
precisely because we don't have a good sense of our own sinfulness, not only because we don't have a sense of our belovedness, but because we don't have a sense of our sinfulness. Yeah. And yeah. we often try to address it, it. The shame is not good. The shame is the effect of sin on, on our lives. And we internalize that sense of shame as if this is how God must feel about me. And I do think pastorally, you know, this personally we've experienced this sense of God being angry with us or a kind of unworthiness that is not an actual awareness of sin, but is a lie that the sin, that sin and the evil one wants us to believe. Mm. Ironically, it's only an awareness of our sinfulness and of our belovedness as the sinners we are, that God loves us, sinners as we are, that could set us free from that. And if we don't allow the Spirit to cultivate and the church to cultivate in us an awareness of our sinfulness, we're never going to be able to deal with the shame that we feel. Mm. Mm. Because it's it's owning our sinfulness that is the beginning of the healing necessary to, to become the kinds of people who can take responsibility not only for what we've done, but what's been done in our name mm-hmm. and just for what's being done to those around us that we are called to love. Right? So, you know, if, if I take offense when, when you call me to repent, you know, for sins against black Americans, for, for the sins of slavery and Jim Crow and racism, if I take offense, rather than recognizing that one, yes, I have participated in that in ways I, I don't understand fully, but even if, right, even if I had no personal direct guilt against anyone, I'd never been racist at any moment in my life. Of course, I still bear responsibility. Mm. Of course, I still am, am, I've had wrongs done in my name. Like there are ways in which I I share a, Mm. a, a guilt, even where I'm not personally directly responsible. You know, so if you think of this as, you know, police officers who are around when there's an abuse of, of someone who's being arrested or someone who's being wrongly harassed, I mean, there's, there's what the officers themselves are doing wrong. Sure. Mm-hmm. But everyone who wears that badge, everyone who wears that uniform, like that's, you take on responsibility for those people too. And if you don't have a sense of that, then you shouldn't be in this place. Like you shouldn't be doing this work. Mm. And if, if that's true of, you know, police officers, it absolutely is true of Christians and any, anyone who lives in a society and anyone who lives in, Amongst the people, right? You, you can't be a neighbor without that sense of responsibility and and ownership in in the best sense. That kind of yeah, but I, I belong here. These are my people. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I will act in these ways. And mm-hmm. again, you're catching me on a day where my my head is hurting and my heart is hurting, and I'm probably saying it a little too hotly. It's probably a little little too intense, but. I, I think this is what privilege has done to us. 
the kind of the, the diseased privilege that we have. I mean, again, I, I want to keep making qualifications, but the, we we just don't we don't feel the right kind of brokenness over our sinfulness, and that's inseparably tied up with the fact that we are not grieving the wrongs that have been done to others. Mm-hmm. I think I told you this, like in the aftermath of George Floyd, this this line appeared kind of just appeared in my heart that it is only when our grief for the wrong that's been done to others is is deeper, realer to us than our fear of what might happen to us. I, I have to grieve the wrong that has actually been done more than I'm anxious about what might go wrong for me. Yeah. Until I until that is true, I will never be free. I'll never be free to live as as a man, as a husband, as a neighbor, as a Christian, as a pastor, hmm. until I'm in touch with reality enough to know that what I'm anxious about happening isn't real. Hmm. My anxiety is felt as real, but I'm anxious about something that has not happened, that may not happen. And when that's greater to me than the grief for what has happened to Aboriginal Australians or black Americans or indigenous Canadians or, you know, my next door neighbors who, you know, have lost, not here, but when we lived in Oklahoma City, you know, who lost their children because of their drug habits. Like when I, Mm. when I'm not when my grief for those very real wrongs that have happened in the world is somehow lesser is weak yeah. compared to my anxieties about what might happen in my future, man. I, hmm. I'm bound up. I'm, I'm not going to be able to be human. Yeah. I, I wrote this week, um, this line, uh, which I wasn't even sure how convinced I was by in some sense, but then the more I thought about it and I used it in a couple of places, but I wrote, I sometimes wonder if our unknowing of the things that people endured is one of the sins that we easily fall yes. into. Yes. Um, and then you said something just before we started recording, which was, you said privilege lets you decide who to listen to. Right? Yes. Um, and I was thinking as you were saying just there, you know, I can be unaware of certain things and therefore that allows me the freedom to say, I don't think I, I don't think I have any responsibility in that situation, but, but actually the unknowing is a form of sin because, and and then in the way that you were framing it there, I'm choosing to listen to my anxiety sometimes rather than listening to actually what's going on. Um, And, 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 and so there's these constant choices being made that I'm able to make, and even that in itself requires a repentance and acknowledgement from me. Absolutely, man. I think this is exactly right. And it, it's in the gospel. Jesus says, have you not read <laughs> the stone that the builders rejected? And, and it's, yeah. I think we're, there's, a, there's, an in, there's a kind of shock in his voice. <laughs> Do you not know? How could you not know this? And, and, and this is something we see from Jesus in the gospels often, a, a kind of, He's deeply troubled by what people do not know. How, how yeah. could you not know this? And it's that, you know, there's a saying of, of Abba Poyman, the, the shepherd, 
one of the desert fathers mm. that heedlessness is the root of all evil. And mm. another way of translating that is unawareness is the root of all evil. Like yeah. the, to live with a lack of awareness is to live with a lack of love and faith and hope like that. That unawareness is hopelessness. It is lovelessness. It is faithlessness. And, and to be, to be unaware of the wrongs others have suffered. And, you know, it's, you know, I, I'm, I don't have any particular person in mind, but those, those people who, when we talk about racism or we, we pray about the wrongs that have been done to, you know, say in the, in the schools in Canada or mm. in the schools in, in Australia, there are those people who react fiercely against us, you know, against, or against that, if not against us. And they've, they've lost in those moments or we've lost in those moments, the ability to tell the difference between the discomfort we feel at being called to account Mm-hmm. And the horror of what those people actually suffered. You know, it's if I could put it like this, let's say you you came to me and you accused me of I mean, well, I don't have to I don't have have to hypothesize. I, I had something happen once. People came to me and said, Hey, we've heard this or we have heard mm-hmm. something that might be this about you. And it wasn't true, it was something that that hadn't that hadn't happened. I, at all. And of course it's troubling to have an, even a kind of half spoken accusation brought against you. Yeah. But one of the things, and it was easy enough to clear up and it wasn't something that, you know, was hard to deal with. But even in that moment, I thankfully was able to realize I, okay, but this has been born out of a very real hurt, not from me. I just happen to be in the vicinity, but that hurt is real. And even though what's being said here, you know, I'm getting caught for just a moment into something that's not my responsibility, but I I don't need to overreact to that. I don't need to be defensive. Mm -hmm. That can be cleared up. What really matters here is this wrong that has been, that has actually been done. And I mean that, thank God that I had just enough awareness in that moment to respond in that way, because it's so hard. It's so easy not to respond that way. It's so easy to to take offense at any discomfort we feel Mm. rather than let ourselves be moved to grief, to intercession by the very real wrongs that others have suffered. And, and and for that matter, I mean, to be moved to joy by the very real good that others experience. I mean, it, it's mm. what we're talking about through this entire conversation is, are we in touch with reality or not? Yeah. Do, are we in touch with the reality of good? And are we in touch with the reality of evil? Are we, do we suffer with those who suffer? Do we weep with those who weep? Do we rejoice with those who rejoice? Are we happy? when we see goodness happening in other, other people's lives, are, are we, are we able to be happy when goodness happens in our lives? I mean, are we able to live with awareness or not? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's what we're talking about through, through, through all of this. And, and trauma makes it very, very, very hard mm. to, to live with awareness 
and living in a society in which there have been traumas on that scale makes it hard. I'm, I'm thinking as I, I have not engaged deeply with, uh, with John Swinton, but I've read bits and pieces of his work. And he talks about how carelessness is a form of evil, which yes. I think is, is, yes. is similar to the conversation that we're having mm -hmm. um, right now. You know, the ability to choose what to listen to or to, well, I didn't realize, right. And, uh, and just keep going around causing harm. But I, I was struck that at some level, the conversation we're having tracks, I think, and there's, I know at least one person that will listen to this podcast that knows Swinton way, way better than I. So we can have that conversation when, <laughs> later in the week. But um, in his Raging with Compassion, what I like about it, which I think is what we're tracking with in this conversation, is that often in the conversation about evil, the question is, let's spend a lot of time deciding if there was an evil. Right? Um, and... And the definition, you know, the, the attempt to to define evil and what it is overwhelms us, I think, in the Western tradition. Whereas what Swinton does, I think, really, really helpfully is, is actually a, 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 perhaps a more important question is what does evil do? <laughs> and, and, and let us recognize that something is happening here, which we can see that this is clearly evil because of what's happening rather than trying to define in advance of what's being done, what's actually happening. Absolutely. And, and, and that, no, listen, I, you're, this is so important. So right. And it, what jumps to mind here, I mean, so the, the other day, well, it's been a couple of weeks now, the, my wife cut her hand or, I mean, it's a long story, but the, I accidentally cut her hand and the, it's such an involved story and I'm, not going to get into it, but we'll the, do another whole I mean, recording with Julie on that. I was working on something. She walked up to me. I turned, she didn't realize that I had this knife working on, on this stuff and was reaching for me and put her hand right on the knife and started, you know, bleeding. And it took a moment. I mean, we actually heard the blade go into the, the, the side of her hand, like heard this, not just saw it, but heard it, which is, horrible sound but like the first thing we had to do was you know get it clean try to figure out like how bad is this wound right and mm. I, I think there's a way in which if we had stood there arguing right, like whose yeah. fault is it, right was it my fault for not telling her as she was walking up to me hey i'm actually doing something here with a knife was it her fault i mean fault has got nothing to do with it she's hurt like yes. how in the world, yes. like what in the world would have been wrong with us? Wrong with mm -hmm. me if I had been defensive, like, Hey, well, it's your fault. You walked up on me, you know, like, <laughs> at, yeah. but so much to your point. So, so much of our energy is spent on assigning blame, defining guilt. When what we need to do is let's, let's heal. Mm. And then if there's any, if we need to sort out blame or responsibility on the other side of the healing, then let's, Let's do it then. Let's do it. Let's do it yeah. after we've yeah. done the care. So my, my response to those people who would say, you know, I don't think racism is as bad as you say, or I don't think I have any personal responsibility for it. It has for a while now I've said to people, well, give your life to the healing of it. 
And at the end of your life, tell me what you think. If you, if you spend the next 10, 20, 30 years pouring your heart into bringing healing to those who've been, who at least in their minds have been, have suffered because of racism, you give your life to healing those wounds, listening to those stories, being present to those people. And then you'll have the moral credibility, maybe, hmm. to say it, to say something we need to hear about what it, what's quote unquote actually happening there. <laughs> but, but, but apart from being that kind of person of healing and restoration, you don't have the moral credibility to talk to, mm. to talk about it, right? Like you don't have the moral authority to address it. And so that, and that moral authority is tied up with a sense of who, who have you suffered with and have you taken ownership for your own sins? Mm. And we don't do either of those things well. Right? Like We don't suffer with others well and we do not take ownership for our sins well. And I mean, I'll let you, the listener, decide who gets included in that plural pronoun. Mm. How does that, maybe there's no how, maybe this is just, does that lead us to think about Philippians 3? I, I've got all of these weekend texts in my mind at the moment, which maybe the listener does not have, but yeah. the, you know, the 10 commandments, you know, is, is there, these are given so that you do not sin. The, 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 the parable, you know, that we're dealing with uh, of these, of these, I mean, my goodness, these, these, these wicked tenants, I think is the mm-hmm. very understated yeah. traditional title for it. Uh, but then in there, there's this piece from Paul, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection and sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. Like there's, I mean, there's a lot of death being talked about in our conversation. Yes, yes. Um, yes. But not the things that we thought needed to die. Maybe things we weren't even aware were alive sometimes. Yes, yes. Man, yeah, I I think... What you see in Paul is this desire. There's a truthfulness in him. This is who I was. This is what I. This is who I regarded myself to be. Mm. And then I ran into Jesus. <laughs> and now I know what I want, and I know I haven't gotten there. Right. I mean, part of what's so striking about this passage is Paul is able to look back on his life before his encounter with Jesus and say, "I knew myself to be this one then." This is how I, this is how I related to myself then. This is, I, I, I was, if anyone has reason to boast, I did. That's how I thought of myself and felt. And then I met Jesus and it, it's not like that now. Right? Like, like <laughs> I have not attained, right? And I know I have not attained because what I want is to be conformed to his death. And that, that means the whole of my life has to be lived. I got, I got to live this life to the end. And my prayer is that when my life is done, when it's finished, it will be finished in ways that that match his, in ways that fit his. And I, I think that that's the kind of awareness we've been calling for, we, we've been trying to name. Like Paul is 
aware, self-aware, aware of how he once thought of himself and aware now of what, what he wants and that he hasn't, hasn't attained it. And that mm. without that kind of awareness, we, we will, we will do damage in the world. We'll leave damage in our wake. Like we will be the kinds of people who are, who are harming others. And at most we're offering apologies and excuses rather than repenting and making reparations and rest and working toward restitution and restoration. And I mean, there's a time for apologies. There's a time for that perhaps, but man, we're called to so much more than Mm. apologies. And certainly excuses are not allowed. And I think, it's, uh, I, I mean, I, this passage is a, is, is a stunning, a stunning piece of Paul. Um, I, I think there's an unspoken narrative of, of faith in this. And I, and I think that, that I think Paul knows that because he goes on to mention faith just, just briefly mm-hmm. afterwards. And I have, you know, that, that debate that circles around about the language of faith in Christ. You know, we talked to Jason recently about his Galatians book and is it faith yeah. in Christ? Is it Christ's faith? Um, I'm of, of, often interested in how verse 12 of chapter 3, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I I am convinced that that's Paul really unpacking what he thinks faith is, right? Is that on one sense, faith has gripped me, but another mm-hmm. sense, I am I am leaning in to ultimately, eventually grasp faith. But but as as we're as I'm trying to reflect on the conversation we're we're having, there is an invitation, I think, to faith and trust in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think I think I want to say, can can I accept the invitation to trust that there are evils going on in me that I don't even recognize, yes. and I want to fight and I want to reject, yes. but Jesus invites me to to go back to your trauma lecture to take up my cross, mm-hmm. <laughs> confess yes. those sins, yes. repent yes. of them. And maybe eventually have the resurrection from the dead in which I realize, Lord have mercy, they were much bigger sins than I realized. And, and I mean, that's it. I mean, I know we're wrapping up here, but this, this, this has hit me recently too. And it's tied up with this kind of awareness of myself as sinner. Hmm. Not, not shame, not, not shamed because of the ways I've been sinned against. I mean, that's, I mean, gosh, this is such a, a kind of knotted and and gnarly issue to try to, to talk about. Because I do think that we, many of us are debilitated by shame because of the ways we've been sinned against in churches that don't know how to confront that. We don't know how to confront serious sin. I mean, the more moralistic we are, the less capable we are of confronting real sin. I mean, yeah, well. But the kind of a, one of the marks of privilege is that it's moralizing, mm. right? And, and at least the kind of privilege we know, 
the kind of privilege we know is bound up with a moralism that actually keep, you know, so, I mean, this, this sounds absurd, but it's true. I mean, I grew up in churches that, you know, rape, sexual abuse, they did not take seriously. But if they, they heard that you had a drink of alcohol, you mm-hmm. could lose your place in the community. You know, like that, that's what moralism does, right? Like mm-hmm. sexual abuse. I mean, what are you going to do? It happens. But if, if you're drinking alcohol, I mean, there's not much hope for you, right? I mean, it's yeah. that, that sounds absurd, but that's absolutely the world we've grown up in, right? Smoking, drinking, Absolutely. going to the movies, saying curse words. I mean, th- those are the things we're worried about. Yeah. Not abuse of power and manipulation. I mean, all the things that are actually destructive for people's lives. And I, I say all that to say, I mean, that this part of what God is giving us in these texts is an awareness of ourselves as sinners that sets us free from the moralism and the privilege that keeps us from living the lives we're called to live. It allows us to actually live, actually mm. enjoy the good and grieve the bad together. Mm. Right. And I, I had this, this awareness that's it, kind of been growing in me that most of my relating to God, my prayers, my turning to God has to do with the things in my life that are not what I want them to be, the the ways in which my life is not as good as I'd like it to be, Mm. not the ways in which I'm sinning against people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And sinning both by what I do and what I leave undone. And and it's that what I leave undone that should be bothering me more than anything else. Mm. Mm. What are the ways in which, because I'm heedless, because I'm not paying attention, I'm failing to do good to my wife, to my kids, to you, to my students, to my neighbors, just because I'm unaware. And why is that not dominating my life, my conversations with Jesus? Yeah. Why am I always talking to Jesus about my health, <laughs> you know, my money, my um, the way other people treat me? Like, why in the world are those the things? I'm sure Jesus is wondering... Uh, can we ever get to something else or can, can we talk about something else occasionally? Like maybe can we talk a little bit about the sin in your life? Right. And yeah. that, yeah, I mean, I know we've got to stop, but I, I actually have to get on the road and drive to Oklahoma, <laughs> but <laughs> this is, yeah, I mean, this, this is where I am. I mean, just to put it all out on the table, like this is, this is what I feel growing in me every day. It's, it's, that sense of Jesus saying, Hey, we, could we talk about something else? Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, Lord teach us to pray (laughs) and, uh, um, and, and then Jesus rolls out a prayer that I love and pray regularly, but I want, but I often think as, as well as a model for prayer that I pray less regularly. <laughs> is that, yeah. I mean, is that okay to say? Yes. yes. You know, it's like, like this, this, you know, when I, when I, I, when I pray the Lord's prayer, which I mean, I love and, 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 and I, 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 it's always and increasingly sacred for me as I pray. But when I, when I freestyle my prayer, it doesn't follow that model quite as much. There's definitely a lot more about things that I would really like. <laughs> and, <laughs> Yeah, it's like give me my daily bread and wine and cheese and olives and 
three times a day, please. And don't let For that those- is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. It's like the get these people out of my life, bring those people into my life, and mm-hmm. you know, make 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 life easier for me. I mean, I mean, I'm being unfair to myself and as you are to yourself, but <laughs> there is a lot of it. I'm sure that that's how it's landing in Jesus' ears. Like I'm asking yeah. for for my life to be easier. And and that's not always wrong to do, but goodness gracious, again, can we maybe sometimes talk about something else? Yeah. <laughs> oh. We'll be St. Francis, Francis says this. He says, nothing can tend so much to humble us before the mercy and justice of God as the consideration of his benefits and our own sins. <laughs> there you go. Our own oh, sins. Yeah. Like that's, that's it. I mean, I'm not obviously, you know, I'm not fully acquainted with the whole of Christian history, but I mean, who is? I mean, there are a couple people, you know, David Bentley Hart, Hans yeah. Erzman, Baltasar, those guys, Rowan Williams, <laughs> they're, they're, they're apparently fully acquainted with the whole of Christian history. But I know enough of it to know we are outliers in the way that we talk about sin and the way that we think about our yes. sinfulness. We're, we're way out on a limb in, in that. And that is a bit disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. It is. it is. Well, I was saying pray for me um, for the, for the trip, but also more deeply for this, um, what's upcoming. I mean, this, this sense that's growing in me. I mean, I, and I'm not just asking you, I'm asking everyone who's listening. Like I, I want to, I want to be able to let the Lord work on my sins. Hmm. I, I want to get on the operating table and let him do the work he needs to yeah. do. Yeah. So please do pray for that. And yeah. thanks for hosting this conversation today. It's uh, it, it's it's heavy in that in that good way, uh, and and there are probably. I, I think I know you well enough, Chris, to know that that you share some of this. That the moment we press stop, a whole host of end notes start appearing <laughs> of things <laughs> that I probably should have said better, differently, oh, longer, absolutely. further. Um, so it's already uh, it's already happening. I don't have to wait for the stop button. But yes. <laughs> so, well, let me pray for us. The good and gracious God, we we affirm your graciousness. We affirm that your forgiveness is waiting for us. And may we learn that beyond the shame and the pride and the, all the other things that make us want to defend and reject an awareness of the sin, may we learn that when we repent, when we seek forgiveness, when we confess, you are waiting for us with arms open, running towards us to call us your children. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, David. Mm-hmm.